Gospels, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. We're getting into the final four chapters, the closing of this book, this second epistle, this letter of Paul to the Corinthians. What's noteworthy about these four chapters is that Paul seems to be quite defensive about his apostleship and quite strident in tone against his attackers. Remember, there were several people in Corinth who were railing against Paul and his teaching, who were coming against him, who were saying that Paul was not, should not be listened to, and they were causing all sorts of disruptions in the church. The letter, this letter, opened right there in the first few chapters even, opened with Paul expressing concern and love for the Corinthians and defending his ministry to them. Here at the end of the letter, he's doing the same thing. But he defends himself with such intense and deeply personal boasts of his accomplishments that some scholars have suggested that there was a break between the writing of chapters 1 through 9 and then chapters 10 through 13. They suggest that after the content of chapters 1 through 9 was written, Paul received more distressing news about the Corinthians and their personal attacks of him that it prompted him to write what he did in chapters 10 through 13. Regardless of whether there was a break or not, the more important point for us is to pay attention to and to apply the specific spiritual truths we find in all 13 chapters. And we'll go through Paul's boasts. He says, I'm boasting in the Lord. We'll go through all the boasts and why he says what he does, the way that he does. However, that's not our primary focus in these four chapters, understanding why Paul was saying it like that. And so in our passage this morning, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, I want to focus on taking our thoughts captive as a critical activity of spiritual warfare. As soon as we read verse 3, which states that we don't wage war as the world does, we are reminded of Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, which states that our struggle, our warfare, our fight is not against flesh and blood, against people using conventional weapons or even, you know, 
unconventional weapons like our words. This is not our fight. This is not our war. We're not fighting against people, against flesh and blood. But our warfare is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And because of that verse and other related verses, we associate angels and demons, exorcism and deliverance with spiritual warfare. That's not a bad association. It's just we tend to immediately think of that because of these verses. We say, oh, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly realms. But notice the focus here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Most of our battles are far more mundane than confronting spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms and seeing angels and demons and, you know, it, our battles are far more mundane than that, far more simple than that. Our daily struggles are not typically external spiritual encounters, but rather each of us struggle with, battle with our internal thoughts. James chapter 1 verses 13 to 15 states, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Or, in other words, the progression from indulging our desires to sinful action to death begins with our thoughts. How we think sets in motion all these other activities, all these other consequences. So, how do we wage spiritual warfare against our own thoughts and desires? This is not the enemy outside. It's not the enemy identified. Right? It is our own thoughts and desires. And how do we wage war against that? Well, we need to know what weapons we have. We need to know what those weapons can do. And we need to know how to effectively use those weapons to take our thoughts captive. So, first question, what are our weapons? What are the weapons by which we can attack or defend or counterattack when there's all sorts of things that come from the enemy? What are the weapons that, have, that come to bear or are necessary for us to use against anything that is contrary to God? So clearly the reference to the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 is key. Encompassing, shielding faith, faith as a shield. The gospel message of peace, salvation, righteousness, and truth. These are all key. The power of God through the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit is key. But I want to highlight five means of appropriating the power of God as our weapons of spiritual warfare. 
Five things that we need to pay attention to. One is the Word of God. The Bible describes it as the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, that we would consider the Word of God as a weapon. That means you need to know the Word of God. You need to be receiving the Word of God. That means you memorize the Word of God. That means you do whatever you can to grasp the Word of God. All right? Number two, the name of Jesus. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every power on, on heaven and earth is subject, including ourselves, including our thoughts, including our circumstances. Everything is subject to the lordship of Christ depending on how the Lord is able to move or how we yield to the Lord. And so when we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, it's not to invoke his name for some kind of incantation. We are calling on the name of the Lord and saying, according to the character and the nature of who God is, according to the character of Christ, I appeal to you, Lord, to act on my behalf, to intervene, to do this. And the Lord answers. Number three, how do we talk to the Lord? And how do we bring our intercessions and our cares before him? How do we battle in the things that the, word, that the Lord calls us to. We pray, and typically prayer associated with fasting. We pray and we come to the Lord and we bring our needs before Him. And we say, Lord God, I pray at all times, in all circumstances, with all kinds of prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Just a few verses after, or what we were referring to there, even as we talk about the armor of God. So, the word of God, the name of Jesus, prayer. Number four, worship of God. When we worship, it says that it puts the enemy to flight. And it puts our own thoughts to flight. Why? Because there's no room for all of the negative thoughts if we're filling our hearts and filling our minds and filling our mouths with the praise and the worship of God. What you hear in your ears is not your voice saying, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm so afraid. I don't know how, what will happen to my child. No, what, what you're filling your ears with is the voice from your heart and your mind and your mouth that says, I praise God who is faithful. I thank God who is all-encompassing, who is all-powerful, who has the means of intervening in this. I speak a word of victory. And so we praise and we worship our God. We offer heartfelt thanksgiving. We honor and glorify God. We express our worship with all our being, with all that is in, in us. And even as we worship, we offer our bodies and our minds, our thoughts, our souls, our, mind, our will, our intellect, our emotion, our history, everything. Our, we offer all of it as a living sacrifice to the Lord. So worship becomes a way in which we are actually knowing how to war. And then the fifth one, even what we sang about, the word of our testimony by which we overcome by which we strengthen even ourselves, by which we are able to encourage one another. When we hear testimonies, we say, oh, the Lord is good. The Lord is faithful. And if he can do that for my brother, then he can do that for me. If he can do that for my sister, then he can do that for me. Testimonies, not just to, and to overcome the evil one, that we would say to the evil one, I know what the Lord has done for me. 
I know the past that I have been through. And so this problem that you're bringing at me right now, I'm not worried about it. The word of our testimony puts the evil one to flight and builds us up and encourages others, causes the body of Christ to be moving forward. Every battle scene, every movie that you've watched where there's a big battle scene, what happens? There's somebody who has a rousing battle cry who rallies the troops, Braveheart or whatever else you've watched. Uh, that's an older movie now. You know, something recent. But there's somebody who comes along and says, oh, let's go after this. We can do this. You know, you've got it. You can do it. You know, I believe in you. And then off they go and they fight and they win. Well, the word of our testimony does that for us. It causes us to rally and to say, oh, Lord God, I can do these things. I can stand in these ways. So these are just a very quick overview of some of the weapons or the prominent weapons or the ways in which we would you know, know what the weapons of warfare are. But that brings us to our second question. What can the weapons do? What do these weapons do? Well, the weapons of our spiritual warfare can certainly defeat the enemy. And we have that confidence that the Lord is greater than the one who is in us, is greater than the one who is outside, the one who comes at us. We have that assurance. But in the context of the battlefield of our minds, these weapons are just as effective to demolish strongholds. Every argument, every thought, every opposition, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The Bible is telling us that the weapons of our warfare is, is, are capable, are able to destroy the strongholds that are in our own minds and are enabling us to take every thought captive. So, Strongholds represent patterns of thought. We've been influenced by something that causes us to think in a certain way. But then we reinforce that thought. We keep reinforcing that particular kind of history, whatever it may be. Whatever that voice is that has spoken to us. And those build one on the other brick on brick, stone on stone, so that we start constructing these strongholds, patterns of thought, worldviews, ways in which we look at the world, ways in which we filter what is happening around us. And these are built up over time based on the prevailing influences in our lives. When we studied Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, we considered four ways through which the strongholds of the mind are constructed. The first one is idols. Idols or images or representation of God that are worshipped, things that are people or things that are activities, ambitions, whatever, that we idolize, that we revere, that we admire, anything that we pursue instead of God or anything that takes the place of God. We, these things start to build strongholds in our life. Anything that we are giving our allegiance to, that starts to create a stronghold in our mind. And it's very difficult to break these things down in our own strength, right? Because over time, we have come to these points of view. And we hold very stubbornly to them. The second thing is fear. Fear, doubt, unbelief. 
Even though the Bible tells us something, we say, oh, but I don't know if it can happen for me. I don't know if this will work out. I don't know if this sickness will be healed. I don't know if I'll be okay. I don't know. And that fear gnaws at you. And it creates a stronghold or it reinforces this stronghold. Wrong beliefs, ungodly beliefs. This, this fear compounds it. Fear about what will happen in the future. Fear about what has happened in the past. Fear about how to proceed in the present. Fear. Number three, pride, arrogance, selfish ambition. When we think too highly of ourselves and too poorly of God and others. When in our arrogance we think that we know better than God and we end up rebelling against him and disobeying him. So pride causes us to build our strongholds. We think we can handle it. We think we're good enough. We say, oh, I know what to do. Mm, I know what to do. And then materialism. Living for the things of the world that never satisfy and are all ultimately going to perish, but they build strongholds. They cause us to covet. They cause us to envy. They cause us to rely on those things, on those resources. And one day when, just like the fire that comes along, you know, nobody expects it. All of the sudden, all of those material things are gone. What will you rely on? Will you say, oh, I have all these resources? I have all this bank balance. I have all these, this strength in my body. What will you rely on? But we build strongholds based on these things. These particular things reinforce our dependence and reliance not on God, but on ourselves. All of these stronghold building factors set up arguments against the knowledge of God. And so before we consider how to demolish the strongholds or how to take captive our thoughts, we must recognize the stronghold that is in our lives and have faith that the weapons that the Lord has given us can demolish these strongholds. When we apply the word of God, when we invoke the name of Jesus to have authority over these circumstances, when we pray without ceasing and with thanksgiving, when we worship God and declare the truth of God and ourselves in our testimonies, we start to take down these strongholds in our minds. Maybe just one stone at a time. Maybe whole chunks at one time. But surely and steadily, till there is only rubble remaining, our whole beings are given to the Lord in this way, so that we are surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. When Lord, when the Lord is Lord over our lives, over all the circumstances, over all the ways of thinking, our strongholds are demolished and the Lord has access. We yield to him. We don't block him off. We don't hold to our fears. We don't hold to ourselves. We say, Lord, you come. You take charge. You take control. Which brings us to our third question. How can we capture our thoughts? In 2020, a study was done of 184 people using brain imaging scans that concluded that people typically have more than 6,000 thoughts per day. 
So they used certain ways in terms of how the brain patterns are changing and things like that to get to some measures. And then they extrapolated that and deducted for the time you're asleep and all sorts of other factors. And finally, they concluded that people have about, about 6,000 thoughts per day. And you're sitting here today and thinking, oh, I have far more than that. You know, <laughs> far more than that. Right? Or you're sitting here and thinking, 6,000, that's a big number. You know? Whatever your case may be, the point is you're having a lot of thoughts every day. Every day. That's a lot of thoughts to capture. And you're sitting there now and thinking, I don't know if I can keep up. I don't know if I can take captive all these thoughts. But here's what the research also helped understand. The amount or number of thoughts is not what's critical. It's how these thoughts affect you that matters. And that sounds exactly like what the Bible said long before there were brain scanning images, right, or tools. Long before scientists could do all these studies and do everything else, the Bible was saying, your thoughts matter. And when you have a thought that allows you to indulge your desire, that leads you into sin, that sin will ultimately lead you into death. There's a consequence. There's an effect of these thoughts. And so there is a need for us to take our thoughts captive. Here are three steps. Three steps that I want to outline for you for how the Bible says to take our thoughts captive. All the things that I said before, in terms of knowing the weapons, understanding how to be able to wield those things and to rely on the Lord and so on, bring that to bear in three very simple things. One, be still. Be still and know that He is God. A lot of times, when we think we have a good thought, we start to run with thought. We're like, oh, I better do this. And then if we have a bad thought, we start to run in the opposite direction. Oh, what's going to happen? And we become anxious. And we become all concerned. And we become caught up. Stress levels rise. Now when someone speaks to you, you say, don't talk to me. Be still. Be still. It's not easy. It's not easy to be still. When someone says something to you, Oh, you rise up. It's not easy to be still. But the Bible says, be still and know that he is God. That means I'm remembering all these truths. That means I'm, these, word, these verses, these scriptures are coming back to me. And I'm realizing, I'm remembering, I'm saying, oh God, when I sit still, I just sit calmly. I remember that you said, you will give me the means of demolishing strongholds. Not just brushing aside some small little pebble. Demolishing strongholds. You will give the power for that. Lord, when I sit still, I know what I remember what you have done for others. When I sit still, I know what you have done for me. I remember. When I sit still, I look through my journals. And I say, oh, look at this. I forgot about this. Look at what the Lord did. When I sit still, oh, I hear the Holy Spirit speaking because it's not all these voices. 
I sit still and I listen to you. I sit still and I meditate on you. I sit still and I let your word wash over me. I sit still and I receive the cleansing flow of the blood of Jesus that makes me white as snow. And all those things that I was anxious about, oh, you take it away. I sit still and I look at the fact that, oh, the cross right there, that I'm at the foot of the cross. I'm, I'm sitting right there at the foot of the cross because I can cast my cares right there. That's what you said to me, Lord. I sit still and I experience your peace coming and guarding my heart and my mind. I sit still. I sit still and I know that he is God. And when I'm sitting still, remembering his word, oh, I start to apply his word. I want to read to you from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17. There are many scriptures that tell you about how to apply the word of God. But I thought that this was interesting. It says, whoever heeds discipline, or whoever obeys the Lord, or whoever is corrected by the Lord, or whoever is brought back into relationship with Him, whoever returns to the Lord, whoever heeds the discipline of God shows the way of life. Why are we anxious about things? Because we're anxious about life. What did God say? You just obey me. You heed my word. You allow me to correct you and to lead you and to say, don't, no, don't, don't step right there, step over here. You listen. You be still. Just be a trusting little child in my care. And when you do that, when you heed discipline, the way of life, the word of God that is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path will show you the way of life, how you should proceed. You know, and, but what the second part of that verse says, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. I thought that was most interesting. That the word doesn't say, if you disobey the Lord, you will end up astray. It says, if you don't take correction, you will lead others astray. You know, when our testimony encourages and builds others up, our disobedience affects others too. It affects our spouses it affects our children. It affects our brothers and our sisters. It affects our colleagues at work. It affects strangers. When we don't listen to the Lord, when we don't heed his correction, we don't just affect ourselves. We lead others astray. Great responsibility. That's not to weigh down on us. That's to recognize that we need the Lord and to say, Lord God, let me apply your word. Let me heed your discipline. Let me receive your correction. Let me obey you. And then third, most importantly, we replace our thoughts with God's thoughts. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. How many things are you thinking about in those 6,000 plus thoughts per day that qualify according to this criteria? Maybe 10%. Maybe more. But think about it. The Bible has given us the more excellent way. 
It tells us, it shows us, it says, look, whatever is true, the true and living God has spoken a true and living word that can have an impact in our lives as we live according to that truth. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, what is, a, what is of good character, what is of good repute, what is able to transform our lives, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. Let me move very quickly through a few more points here because I want to make these things clear. Taking thoughts captive, it's not just like capturing an enemy, right? Military people can relate to this idea, but you've seen enough military movies, you know what it means to take a, 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 an enemy captive. Right? You go and you attack, you do these things, and you take the enemy captive. And so you deal with ungodly, destructive thoughts. But taking captive your thoughts is also like reining in a wild horse or holding your pet that it doesn't run out the door when the door is opened. It is reining in these thoughts that could be good. They could be rational. You're, you're not foolish to say, oh, I, you know, there's an accident or there's something that's happened or there's something in my body. And it, it's not that you ignore those things. So these are good thoughts. These may be necessary thoughts. But what happens is the thoughts run wild. They start taking you into places that you shouldn't go. You start imagining things. So you have a little, little spot on your wrist and you're saying, must be cancer, right? And you, you start to go in all sorts of different ways. It's, it leads you into all sorts of imaginings that your thoughts have now run wild. Not ungodly thoughts per se, not destructive thoughts per se, but when they are running wild, they have to be reined in. It's only when it's reined in that you can even discern whether it's a good thought or a bad thought, whether it's an evil thought or a, or a, or a good thought or a godly thought. Otherwise, thoughts are just going. They're just taking you in all sorts of directions. So the point here, taking captive every thought, has to be about discerning and to pulling in, reining in these wild running thoughts. But also, and this is important, the thoughts or taking thoughts captive have to be like you're silencing an alarm. You wake up in the morning, these days you don't press alarms now. You just speak it. Alexa, stop, right? Uh, and the alarm stops. But, but just imagine that you're silencing the alarm. Why? Because it's an incessant sound, incessant something that's coming at you. And so taking captive our thoughts is to say, I put a stop to this. These things that are coming at me, coming at me, coming at me, no, it just doesn't stop. All of the sources around me are saying the same thing. Ooh. And it becomes this incessant way that is on my mind. I stop. Incessant thinking is correlated with depression and anxiety and mental problems because we are focusing on whatever is most problematic at that moment. It could be real or imaginary pain. It could be some grudge. It could be some long-term frustration. But none of those things are constructive and none of them are forward-looking. They are off the past and off the present, but they're not allowing you to look forward. And so this incessant sort of alarm that is there, you say, Lord, 
I take captive this thought. I bring it to you. I ask you to move. And so we respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by taking our thoughts captive. We make our thoughts obedient to Christ. We submit ourselves and our thoughts and we say, Lord God, take charge. We repent of our sin. We say, Lord God, I have sinned and I have gone this direction. I have lashed out at you and at others and that's caused all these thoughts in my mind. I have allowed the influences of my idols and my materialism and whatever else of this to affect me. And I take captive this thought. And I bring these thoughts before you and I ask you to restore me to yourself. I ask you to take charge of my heart. I ask you to take charge of my mind. That's the prayer that we're praying. These are simple prayers. There's nothing magical about our Christian life. It is just a matter of bringing these needs before the Lord and trusting Him, knowing that He hears us. Seeking to obey God applies not only to taking captive negative or destructive thoughts, but also our positive or constructive thoughts. The actions or consequences that can result from positive, godly thoughts are possible only if the trajectory of that thought is brought into obedience in Christ. So just as the negative thought has to be taken and brought into obedience in Christ, the positive thought has to be taken and brought into obedience in Christ. Otherwise, we will go in a different direction. And so in verse 6, Paul states, And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. The act of obedience he's referring to is for the Corinthians to take their thoughts captive. The punishment for disobedience he's referring to is disobedience to Christ because of the sin that results from uncaptured, ungodly thoughts. So we say to the Lord, Lord, I want to obey you, and I want you to take charge of my mind, my heart, my everything, so that I will live for you. The bottom line is this, that since thoughts matter, we must be diligent to use the unearthly weapons of our unconventional warfare for uncommon results. We're not waging war as the world does. Our weapons are not as the world has them. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. And we don't get the results like the world will give you. We have to pursue the things of God by the, thing, by the word of God for the results of God. Uncommon in the world, but expected in Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. that Lord, your word is powerful to us, and it gives us principles and truths that we can apply. They're not easy to apply, but they can be applied by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, we come and, let, and we pray. Let this word ring in our hearts and be active in our lives throughout this week. Lord, through the rest of the month and for the rest of our days, that we would be diligent to take captive our thoughts. That, Lord, when a thought starts to come into our hearts, into our minds, when a thought comes because it's influenced by the world outside, by our own flesh, our own desires, or by the devil explicitly, when the thought comes, let us not dwell on that thought. 
let us first ask the question, is this thought of God? Is this thought from God? Is this thought reflecting a truth of God? And Lord, help us. Grant us grace. Whether it's a good thought or a bad thought, whether we have discerned it correctly or not, not to let the thought run wild, but to keep it in check and to submit it to you and to say, Lord God, what is the next step I should take? Because you said when I obey you, you will show me the path of life. Lord God, you said your word will be providing guidance for me, better than any GPS. Oh, you will show me what I should do. And so, Lord, I want to submit to you. I want to ask you, Lord, that you would take these thoughts and let them be submitted to you. You be Lord of this thought. You be sovereign over this thought. Don't let me, Lord, live in my fear and anxiety and my, all of my own self. Help me to cast my cares, to captive, capture my thoughts, and to let you be Christ, be Lord, be God over them. Father, I thank you that as a church, Lord, as we learn these truths and apply them, oh Lord God, we get opportunity to encourage one another. And the testimonies that we share of how we are taking our thoughts captive and the testimonies that we will encourage by speaking to one another, by encouraging one another, by reminding one another to take our thoughts captive. I thank you, Lord, that it goes to building our church up strong. Lord, to building us up in the Lord, to causing us, Lord, to be free from all our anxious thoughts and to be free in Christ. Lord, that is what you set us free for, that we would be able to live in the victory and in the liberty and in the, Lord, in this stronghold breaking. Lord, arguments and pretension eliminating, oh, truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we pray for this and receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.